0: Broke a head, rich when, 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 when
1: that's actually my favorite part with uh
2: editing the videos is seeing you yeah. both
1: bob your heads <laughs> every single time <laughs> nobody sees it but
2: i well, get to see it so yeah. good. that's <laughs> a banger <laughs> shout out to guilty simpson get we're back yeah Sim- we're back to episode 10 10 or it's, I'm pretty Eleven. sure it's episode 11, we don't know, we're, we're recording I a couple here today, so we don't know what order they're actually going to come out on, but yeah. um, 10 or 11, thanks for joining, Master Keys Podcast, I'm Chandler Halberton. I'm Neil Andrino. And What's to, going on?
3: Not too much. Today we're going to have... Sitting awkwardly here today. We are sitting awkwardly, we have a full table here today with four people, uh, we're going to be doing an episode, we're going to do our usual intro with kind of what we got going on, and then we're going to jump right into uh, chatting with the guys that are helping us produce this thing, and go over some of the questions they have, some questions you guys have sent in and just our overall kind of, I guess, goal for the Master Keys podcast. So, yeah, starting off, what do, what do you have going on? You, you We had some calls this week going on,
2: like, yeah. changing changing plans. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a couple things. I, I mentioned a couple times on the show about this collection of nine parcels that are adjacent to some other stuff that I own that just make a lot of sense because of their proximity uh, for, for me to to purchase. And I've started to go through my due diligence from a planning perspective as to what I could one day build there because there's stuff there now, but it's a mixed bag of duplexes, single family homes, vacant lots, a 16 unit, a three unit. Like it's, it needs to be consolidated. And the idea would be one day to tear all that down and build new, but it's a really quirky site that you wouldn't think because you've seen the site. It's long, it's nicely shaped. It's a lot of parcels (laughs) and it's kind of, it's a good looking site. However, it backs onto a lake. And along that lake is a walking trail. So the first thing that I was concerned about is the center plan, which in our area determines what your height. Your height there is limited at 14 meters, which means four-story buildings. All right, that's not too bad. Then there's another requirement because you're uh, adjacent to a walking trail. You can't put that trail in the shade for more than a couple hours a day. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, so they want that to remain in the sun, so you have to do a shadow study to see how the the shadow is cast over that trail throughout the course of the day, and no one area can be covered for more than a few hours. I don't know the exact requirement, but that also limits where you sit the building on the lot based on its sun orientation. One story short,
3: you're not getting four stories.
2: Well, no, I I am able to get four stories, but it requires a little bit of an angling or a setback of the property,
0: Mm. which...
2: It turns out I have to do anyway because there's a setback from the lake, any sort of waterway, any sort of uh, permanent water of 20 meters. So even then, I'm set back 20 meters, but that is going to be changing to 30 meters in the not-too-distant future, Uh, apparently within 12 months. So unless you have a pulled building permit before that rule changes, that building is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, Even things like, well, maybe you can do a pedestal and build your parking underneath. No, you cannot encroach on that 30-meter setback regardless. And it means the biggest building I could get there right now is 64 units with 52 parking spots, and it's a wicked building. But moving forward, I might lose 7 or 8 units off that and about 10 parking spots. When they up the buffer. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that changes the value of the site because... I don't know that the number that we're talking about uh, is supported by that redevelopment. Which then turns me back to, all right, what if I look at these things as individual existing buildings? Is there a renovation play to what's There's there? There's
3: value in there somewhere.
2: Yeah, and and there is a lot of values in there. It's a case where the individual parts are worth more than the sum of the parts in a weird, ironic yeah. way. So I've got to figure out that valuation. But closed on the six-unit. Uh, We've got a little video coming on that. Um, So I'm going through the situation of... No money down on a six? Yeah. um, You know, tenants contacting me, trying to figure out what's going on, and working with them on solutions. And as people have probably heard in the news, the quote-unquote rent eviction ban uh, is up effective March 21st, which is actually when this episode will air, we think. Um, And... You know, have you looked into that? I mean, people are going to be curious about that. Uh, yeah. I've
3: looked into it a fair bit. I don't know that they've finalized all the rules, Tenancy Board. I'm sure there'll be some stuff that comes out There's today. There's a form out now. Is there a form out? I haven't yep. had an opportunity to look at it, but um, they were supposed to have it out in February, and then when they bumped everything, they also didn't put out the form. Um, but I know, obviously, I have some units that I need to get done, so I'm going to be heavily involved in it. Um, I think it works out from what I've gathered. It's a 90-day 90, 90 day window, and you got to pay them one to three months' rent depending on the size of your building. Uh, it, it seems reasonably fair overall uh, for I think both parties.
2: Yeah, uh, so it, it looks like I think it's if you're under four units, it's one month compensation. Yeah. Uh, and one full calendar month's notice. Yeah. Is my understanding if, if you're going to do renovations. If you're more than that, you know, if you're a true multi-unit structure, you have to give three months rental compensation plus three months uh, full calendar months notice. So. I'm looking at tenants now and saying, you know, you've got April, May, June, and you need to vacate the end of June. And this has to be legitimate work um, that is going to displace someone. This isn't a case of, you can just say, oh, I'm painting the walls, (laughs) I'm changing some counters. No, because that work can be done around an existing tenant who's already there. And why that matters is because if someone can test this, uh, takes you to the tenancy board, you have to prove that you are doing legitimate work. Yeah, exactly. which, I mean, people have seen the videos. It's significant work. No one could ever live in these buildings while this work is going on. Um, but I'm going through that process with these tenants now and with some existing tenants from the last uh, project who have not yet vacated. This is going to sort of be that nudge at this point of, hey, you know, we've talked about different things. I've offered you compensation that actually is above and beyond what I'm now required in the legislation t- to provide you Um You know, you got to go. It's time to go. I I think
3: in about 60 days, it's going to become an intensive market out there when there's a lot of people trying to to move.
2: This Um, is the other thing I'm explaining to tenants. Like, this is going to make the move now, and
3: it's about to get a lot more intense. Um, I do have some concerns that Tenancy Board is going to get a lot of hearings, and they're going to freezing it up. Um, but we'll see, I guess, how it pans out. I, I'm going to apply for some and, and see how they how they work. I think a lot of tenants, though, kind of got the idea coming February. I noticed with, that, with the release coming for February, I had a ton of tenants that were like, all right, I'm leaving.
2: Yeah, yeah. I right? think like they, they now prior are to for that sure. Days? It's coming down the pipeline. You can either be yeah. proactive or reactive on it. Yeah. And, you know. I feel like I'm left with the 25% that are reactive. Yeah, yeah. we both had our struggles with certain tenants, and uh, you've had some appearances in the news and all that good yeah. stuff. But yeah, I- <laughs> check out our past episodes for that. Yeah. But yeah, so the eight-unit renovations continuing going well. The six-unit just closed. Really excited about starting that. I've got the accepted <clears throat> offer on the 12-unit, which is a building I've been after for, you know, two or three years. So I'm super pumped on that. And I don't know what I'm going to do with the collection of parcels. But what about yourself? Um, so it's funny, actually, the... Okay, so the same seller
3: uh, brought me a collection of parcels um, for the same price and a different part of town. So I'm now working through that to see if it's worth it. And this seller is apt and understands the market. And so he has priced everything to exactly its market value. Like there's not a dime of, I would say, lift off the start. No. Um, you're not getting a crazy deal, you're just getting what it's worth. But he has lots of great stuff. So it's uh, it's interesting. I'm trying to make a decision on that. Um, I've had a lot of people actually message me asking about the 100-unit lot that I've talked about a few times and the other couple 60 units. Um, I'm still working on them. I actually was on a call right before I got in here regarding the 100-unit. The thing that's been holding me back so much is just getting cost of construction. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I'll just say the numbers. For that 100-unit, I had it appraised out of $30 million bucks, and then I got, a, I got a quote to build it for $34 million. And it's basic math. If it costs more to build than what it's worth, it's probably yeah. not worth your time.
2: And this is one of the challenges about going to the peripheral areas because you can support yeah. those values in town, but maybe not so much in, in the periphery, but yeah. it costs the same to build regardless.
3: That's the thing. The cost, it maybe goes up a little bit if you're right in town and there's some specifics to your site that are difficult, but really it doesn't go up as much as the value appreciates. Um, and so, yeah, I'm str- kind of struggling there to figure out what the best way of doing it is. I looked at potentially doing the build in-house because a big part of that bill is added on by having a GC do it, but then a bank's not going to fund me mm-hmm. to build a 100 yeah. unit because I don't have the experience in doing so. Um, so that that's something I'm working on because I really want to make the transition to adding units. I find there's a lot of difficulty with the older stuff. But then as I continue to get these quotes to build apartment buildings, I'm slowly turning back to the old stuff because I'm realizing I can buy an as-is existing building for a fraction of the cost, even if I have to renovate it. I'm into it for so, so, so much less and the rents are maybe 25% less, but the cost is about 50% less. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a toss-up. Um, and then additionally, at the same time, it's things I've been screaming about is just interest rates, right? Like interest rates are going up, and it, it's slowly, I'm like, what
2: makes sense now in this market? Well, that's the thing, because I'm locking in my build here shortly. I'm going through yeah. this new CMHC program where we're going to hit some uh, environmental efficiencies to get favorable lending terms uh, with respect to down payment and amortization, but the rate's still going to be the rate, and it's pretty good, Right now, but it's gone up significantly during the course of my two-year. What's year your build rate on CMHC? Um, I don't know, because you don't get it through CMHC. You still take it out to the lenders, yeah, yeah, right? CMHC yeah. backs it, but it's still whatever lender rate it's going to be. It, it's it's going to be probably in the mid-threes, I would say. It um, great. But that's up significantly from 18 months, 24 months. If you go down that road of building, the question is not what the rate is now. It's what is it going to be in 24 mm-hmm. months? Uh, mm-hmm. Because you can't lock in that rate until until you've got... Permits until you've got plans, and then you can submit the whole file. Yeah, so,
3: so yeah, I mean, I think that's about it. I haven't written any contracts for myself recently. I'm finally closing on that sixteen that I talked about that I had environmental issues. I talked about like three months ago, maybe four months ago. I finally am, have a date set. It's the end of the month we're going to close. Luckily, that seller is super relaxed, uh, and they understand that there's some issues with it. Unfortunately, they're like, we're not going to negotiate. That's just the market today. Yeah, we yeah. know there's issues. It's going to cost you thirty they're your grand. they are issues. But yeah, you have just assumed these issues, but we will give you a bit more time to close because we understand a bank's not going to just hop all over a contaminated oil field. So are you doing that privately then? Uh, no, I was able to get, uh, B lenders will involve themselves with environmental issues as long as you have a remediation plan and a price to do right. so. And it fits within the kind of the appraisal. Yeah. So in this case, I had enough room in the appraisal to include the, the Enviro and I did do boreholes and testing to figure out what needed to be done. And so I'm using that then to, to go with it. Are you
2: able to share who the B lender is or?
3: Uh, yeah, it's Atlantic Signature. Okay. Atlantic signature is good. I uh, has been great for me. They've done a lot of, uh, a lot of lending for me as well. They're fast. The nice thing with these guys is they can look at something, approve, give you an LOI within a week or two, and they can fund within a, two weeks after that. Um, and even if you're really in a pinch, like Beyonce, that last one I was on, I needed six million bucks in 10 days. And CUA came, LOI'd, we signed it and had to fund it in 10 days. Hmm. Like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, as, long as, as long as you have the appraisal there, uh, they were able to kind of basically say, look, we have the appraisal, everything else lines up, we'll get the rest of the docs to you after closing, basically. And get it done. I don't think it's something they do all the time. It was an exception that was made to make the deal go through. So Right on. Yeah. Cool. So so let's get into today's episode. Like I said, it's a special episode. We have two guests with us, uh, Tristan and Brad. They are our marketing strategy team and our videographer and editors. They're involved in everything. Uh, They joined us with BNV to basically help grow, market, create the podcast for what it is today. Chandler and I have no no skills on a yeah, on if a you've computer.
2: That the game has stepped up a little bit. Yeah,
3: we threw Chandler's BlackBerry out. To
2: another <laughs> <level>. <laughs> no,
3: we haven't. He still has it,
0: but sign the petition yeah. to yeah. get
3: Chandler on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah man, It's rock solid.
1: Well, uh,
0: I just have to say that was like so difficult to stay quiet during that because yeah. I just have so many questions <laughs> for like to see you guys. You guys, yeah. you guys have been like I don't know if, if you feel this way, but listening to these guys editing the podcast. They're clearly experts and I'm not. Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly like, I wish I could sit here every episode and just be like, okay, what does that mean? Why did you do that? And what was the decision behind that? So like, that's just how my mind thinks yep. all the time. Yeah. Cool. We need someone who's doing that. That would be actually <laughs> <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Pause for a second. Um,
3: but I wish you guys introduce yourselves We're right off the hop?
0: Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead. I'm, I'm Tristan. Uh, we met only, this is our first time meeting in person, yeah. but uh, originally from Toronto, Nova Scotia. Um, went to Saint Evex University, played basketball there for four years, and uh, have always been like the biggest YouTube nerd you've ever met. Like I just love yes. consuming content, yes. influencers, vloggers, chefs, home improvement. Like I just love, 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 love. Yeah. So to have the opportunity to work with you guys, like experts, is just another opportunity to learn and do what I love at the same time.
3: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm 24. I'm Brad. Uh, I went to the Mount. I did uh, PR originally and then marketing. Uh, I left there actually, uh, didn't finish my degree and started working for East Coast Lifestyle. Uh, started off as a videographer, transitioned into photography. And now I basically do anything digital. <laughs> so uh, working with you guys, I produce another podcast as well. Uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a blessing to do this type of work with you guys. We're learning lots. And, uh, I was excited when you reached out originally, or I don't know if I, I Abdul yeah. Yeah, gave yeah. me your
3: information. Hey, shout out to Abdul. He listens. Uh, <laughs> He's like, you
2: guys need work. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah to-
3: Jailer and I were looking for uh, some people to help us with the social media. We had, we had signed on BNV to take over the podcast. It all, it all started really literally like super, I would say super grassroots. It was my office in Dartmouth. Mm. We slid my desk over. <laughs> we, hung, we hung. A black curtain. Yeah, and like I looked up like sound blankets and they're like $100 each. I was like, no, no, no,
0: Moving blankets, $8 <laughs> yeah. each. Exactly. Amazon. It, yeah, Amazon moving yeah. blankets. Is, is that where you guys were with like your original TikTok clips? Like yeah. there's a yeah, kind yeah. of a dark room <laughs> with like a, yeah. like a mini fridge to the that right. That is a dungeon. That is
2: the one. <laughs> okay. I was it, it, it had like, looked like, a Canadian... look kind of good. Yeah, like, it kind of good. And that's, yeah. some,
0: that's something I want to say is that before Brad reached out to me and said, hey, we have a project, do you want to tackle it? Like, I've seen your guys' content before. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you guys, as much as you say you didn't know what you were doing... I think you're thought leaders in this space, so you're always going to rise to the top, anyways. Yeah,
3: we well, it went okay. I got to give a credit to Tanner McDonald. He's not here right now. He's in Ireland having a good time for mm. St. Patty's Day. Wow. But he oh, was yeah. the one that came on board and helped with us to kind of build the space. Got it. He figured out all the gear that we needed. He got the lights. He put the thing together. We, we needed more lights, obviously. It's a little dark. <laughs> 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 but uh, he he went out there. He got all the blankets up, and uh, he got the mini fridge, and he he put it together Thanks for right. us to get rolling. Good. Yeah, yeah, so and if you actually like, if anyone watched any of those. My desk is actually still sitting there like two inches off the front of the desk yeah. that we're sitting mm. at.
2: And man, like the AC unit would kick in during the middle. So there's
0: like this fuzz <laughs> coming over
2: first fruit flies there for a little while. Yeah, there too, was, like, it was a mess. It was a mess. No, it was so, good. so I, I, I do have somewhere. a question. And I
0: think yeah. I think Brad wants us to get into this, too. Like what urged you guys, first of all, like how do you guys know each other mm-hmm. and what urged you to start a podcast in the first place? Do you, uh, you want to start with uh, how we know each other? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, we both work for REMAX Nova here uh, in Halifax, and I actually made this comment to someone today. We had crossed paths a little bit around the office, but the longest we had ever spoken to one another was that first episode of the podcast, by wide margin. Oh, mm. big time, yeah. We had five-minute conversations. And I, I was always... You know, I love talking about this stuff. I love sharing the information. I genuinely feel it changes lives. So why would I not want to Chandler share loves that? Taylor talking. With, <laughs> I do like to talk. <laughs> um, but I, I think it helps people when they know this information because it can change their life. And if I care about someone, why would I not want them to, to, to have this information? And so people would say, why don't you make a course? Why don't you start a podcast? And I had never listened to a podcast, mm. let alone really? wanted to make one or anything like that. But I thought I would like to develop an online course or something like that at some point because I'm also a big believer in coaching and and those tools. And I just heard or you had mentioned that you were considering doing a podcast. And I didn't know you well enough to sort of throw myself in there. But I was like, listen, if you ever want someone to do it with, Mm -hmm. let me know. Yeah. Yeah. And then you took me up on that after – trying out other people first <laughs> yeah
3: yeah like to double down on that so yeah like you said we had never really talked in the office we just in passing he'd be in there like blasting off like 14 contracts and printing them out and like on the phone two phones like just going nuts <laughs> and i was like just trying to do my one deal off in the corner and we chat for two seconds i'm asking him a question or whatever um and then yeah we had the conversation about the podcast one time and i think it's because you have a colleague that does some online coaching and, and different things like that and we had had a conversation, like, online's becoming the new game. Like, it's, it's funny that even in the real estate world, like, selling a house, you can do it through Instagram mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. we were having that, like, kind of mind-blowing conversation. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about the podcast. I remember you specifically, you sent me a text. And, like, literally, like, a day later, I just got a text from Chandler, let's do it, period.
2: Nice. And I was like, all right. Yeah, that's right. I've got, I've got a client, um, really good buddy of mine. I've known him since junior high. And when I got into rental properties, he was like, hey, I kind of want to get into that, too. And he very very savvy sharp guy. He quickly grew to a hundred doors in a short period of time, and he's big in that coaching um, space, like that that marketing coaching programs. And he effectively developed a real estate coaching program and just did like a beta test of it, sent it out there, and got thirty subscribers to wow. a thousand dollar U.S. course wow. over ten weeks. Oh my god! And I'm like, you just made thirty grand U.S. Mm-hmm. just. Spouting the things that I told you, mm. um, and that kind of made it click to me. I'm like, you know, he's he's working smarter than I am. So mm. yeah, yeah.
3: I, for me, I think it was like on the same as you. YouTube nerd, massive content yeah. person, like. Obsessed. That's what I grew up Same, on. Yeah. Just watching everything, whether it was vloggers, gamers, nice. lifestyle stuff, yeah. anything I wanted to learn, I learned it on there. And you're an iPad kid. I'm an iPad. Yeah, <laughs> I actually never had an iPad, That's but right. <laughs> I had like a, a gaming laptop. Which again, that doesn't even make sense because laptops shouldn't be for gaming. But I had one, right. and I would just like spend all my time watching YouTube stuff. Like yeah. I was everyone wanted to watch TV, and I was just like, mm, no, nah, like I like the unfiltered raw. Sure. And it can be like specifically what you want. There was no commercials. Like the whole idea. Anyway, so I did that, and then. I always in the back of my head was like kind of fantasizing about being one of these guys that could kind of teach people about that. Cause I loved doing yep. it. And I saw like the Graham stephens of the world, uh, Ryan Serhance yep. and those guys are very successful in their industries. But on the flip side, like not to sound cocky, but their numbers that they were posting, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing these numbers. I was oh, like, yeah. like, 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 Oh man. Like, like Graham Steffen had like a 500,000 subs and he had like 15 doors. And I was like, wait a second. Right. I have, I have 55 doors mm-hmm. and I'm also younger. And like, so anyways, I, I kind of was better like, looking, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> off. Um, but like, I was like, oh, maybe there's an opportunity there because I find people do tend to click on the on the, on the clickbaity style t- captions. Like, so maybe I can utilize some of the things I've done to capture people, then show them my interest in, the, in this space, and then also teach them and help them do it. Um, and so that was what originally kind of drove me into doing it. And then it kind of just went from there where I actually started original podcast with another person and he's in banking and he was unable to do so. And then that's when Chandler and I chatted and it kind of went from there. And now now we're here.
2: Yeah, it's also a lot of that content that gets produced out of bigger centers or out of the states. Yeah, uh, People would come to us having learned a little bit from that content and then none of it's applicable. So like, oh, you know, people are, are getting misled a little bit. It'd be great to have actual information that you can use right now in this market, in the Canadian market, especially um, without all the acronyms that are really catchy and, and good to have in in YouTube videos, but don't necessarily um, carry water in the real world. But that's a very very long answer. Sure, no, um, it's good. it question. changes so rapidly
1: too. That's uh, that's what's so cool about this podcast is like every week it's like oh interest rates are changing. Oh this you learn mm-hmm. something constantly with every episode. So you guys
0: make our job very easy. Yeah, very so, easy. <laughs> like, I, uh, but, I appreciate. But, but that. Are, you, are you not like in it? It makes sense for Neil for some reason. It makes sense that like, yeah. like you're the the image of. Uh, call it a social media influencer or whatever. A dig. A dig. No, know, no I'm saying. I
3: don't
2: know. Who should be, who should be di- feeling dissed about that? <laughs> no,
3: <laughs>
0: so, this is what I mean. This is why I'm getting it out there. I'm being as comfortable as I can be. But, so, Chandler, someone look at you and be like, well, who's this guy? Like, do you. Who's this guy? Like, but do you feel that pressure of, like, <laughs> what happens if you turn, if this blows up to 5 million subscribers? and you're famous like is, um, is that something that you would feel comfortable in being a local celebrity
2: uh yeah
3: man i don't care really um we're both we're both fairly vain i'd say yeah like i mean
2: you,
3: you had somebody spot you the other day eh?
1: yeah,
2: yeah I, we I, were I was was talking yeah. We do this every day we're like hey man <laughs> someone today rolled down the window and said hey master keys yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. it is kind of cool That's awesome. um i guess i never really thought about it that far <laughs> in advance like i just um i've always sort of been an extroverted person yes i don't really mind what comes along with that the the tricky thing is i also you know say what's on my mind and we mm, kind of have right tiptoed around some subjects in the past a uh, lot's happened in in the short mm. time that we've been doing this podcast from the housing crisis mm-hmm. elections freedom literally a, a war <laughs> I, troward, I didn't think you were gonna say traggers. you know all all of these <laughs> things um and there's been times where i think we've both been nervous our clients are going to see this, and what if people take right. a different stance? And housing is such a contentious issue right now, and um, we're pretty transparent on on our roles in it and how we feel about it. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it is funny. Like I've never watched a podcast, sure. still to this day. Really? Yeah, not really. that's not ours. true. That's not true. I guess I've watched. Um, I, I've started watching a couple of things through wow. YouTube, but. Um that initially I was like, I don't know how we're gonna consume this.
0: Like where do right.
2: I where do I listen to it? But I yeah. think that's
0: why it works. The fact that you aren't afraid to speak your mind yeah. is is why you can see a clear separation in the market. The master keys is growing and you guys are getting noticed on the street is because you're not afraid to say what what everyone else is thinking.
1: Don't forget to hate comment subscribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Comment, subscribe. Hey, actually we should yeah, we, we should run into that. some of these these uh these comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Let's. uh what
0: do we want to do Well, well, attempt, it's so. just like so. So since managing your guys' profiles, like TikTok, especially, is awful for the hate comments that you guys get. Crazy. It's it's. I had to
2: download the app just to see what was going <laughs> yeah. on. And people and are angry. They, they have a TikTok they, app. They're for angry. <laughs> they do. Oh, have oh, actually, do they? <laughs> they
0: do. They wow, do. that's good. So 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 like you guys are. There's people that love you, and then there's other people that are like these guys are. Are ruining the market. You guys are the the root of evil in this. Yeah. why you're mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're causing all this turmoil, which just isn't true. So, yeah. we did want to bring a couple up. Um, <laughs> mean tweets. Well, we we didn't get the meanest ones, but um, pe- people people th- the biggest some raise legitimate questions. That's yeah. right. And and yeah. the biggest the biggest driver of all these comments tend to be pricing and saying yeah. that you're driving up all these prices. So when people see that you guys are renovating a a Apartment building, they're like, oh well, they're thanks for raising our prices. I can't pay groceries now. Yeah, what yeah. what does that make you feel? So,
3: like right off the hop, it's it's funny. So I just pulled um, for this next round of uh, financing. I had to pull out my spend on some of these buildings, and so I just pulled up on the last twelve units that I did, and I spent like a little over nine hundred thousand dollars to get those buildings to where they needed to be. And realistically, when I bought them, multiple units were vacant due to the fact that they were in such rough condition that they weren't even livable. Right. So it's like. Yeah, the new rents aren't necessarily going to be 800 bucks, but they physically just can't due to the fact that I had to get them to where they were. And prior to that, first of all, the ones that were being lived in were like mold, like they were literally a health hazard. Mm. And they're now like there was a bunch of that couldn't even be vacated. So I actually added more inventory to the market. So I know, yeah, they're not super affordable prices and people don't love that. But 90% of these buildings that we're taking on are requiring substantial renovation. Mm. And yeah, people are living in them, but they're living in degraded, settings that they really shouldn't even be in. Like, they're not safe. If someone were to come through as, like, a health and safety standard, you couldn't physically live in those buildings. There would be some, like, there's uh, asbestos, lead, mold, um, co- wiring that could cause a fire, uh, plumbing that's leaking. Like, it just goes on and on and on. So I don't know. I, I, I don't love the idea. I understand that, like, we're raising the rents in areas that are sometimes uh, a little bit lower uh, than that when they got in there. But I guess the objective is to make inventory that's good and housing that's, that's actually proper, right? Versus like, it's not just to come in there and be these super greedy people. And realistically, like, I think people forget, but the margins on this are not, like, like, when we're talking four or 5% caps, that is the amount of money that you're effectively making off of that investment property, mm. right? So like, these places are capping on five and a half percent. So if you have $1,000 property, you're making like $55. Like, it's not like we're just pouring money over hand or fist. I think the other thing to like for people targeting us specifically, they forget that Chandler and I have jobs and businesses outside of this. And that's what we're living off of. That's how we're paying our bills, Mm. right? Like, it's not like we're just, like, I'm taking all these rent checks every month, and I'm like, oh, I got no bills. I'm just going to take all this rent money and go blow it on something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, rent comes in, and I margin, like, I squeak by after all the mortgage payments come out, Mm -hmm. right? So, and as interest rates climb here and as all these things go up in cost, if it starts to flip the other way where it's a bit negative, no one's going to be sympathizing, like, oh, we're going to up our rent 50 bucks to help you out to keep
2: this building so it doesn't get foreclosed on, right? So...
3: The other thing too
2: is this is the one I come back to is that affordability is a spectrum, right? To one individual, they're struggling to find a great unit for fourteen hundred dollars. Right. Right. There are other people out there struggling to find a great unit for twelve hundred dollars, and there's other people out there struggling to find a great unit for seventeen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Affordability doesn't just mean one thing; it's different for each person. So while we may take some units out of, you know, the market that is sub one thousand dollars. We return those units in much better condition, much better living standards, to feed another demand. And yeah, that demand might be at fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. But those people at fourteen hundred and fifteen hundred dollars are experiencing their own housing crunch, yeah. and they are no less deserving of a great apartment. Um, a I believe personally, very strongly, that true deep affordable housing is the res- <coughs> excuse me the responsibility of the government, because there is no economic model by which you can provide housing, safe, good housing under $1,000 in this market. It does not exist. And to try to put the onus on the private sector to do that, you are asking them to voluntarily run at a loss. Mm. And they're not going to do that. One, it's just not how they operate. Two, they'd go out of business. And three, they have stakeholders. And whether those stakeholders are actual investors or just their family that they need to provide for. Someone asked me, like, what do I feel my responsibility is in the housing? My responsibility is to my family. First and foremost, Mm -hmm. period, end of sentence. So while I struggle with this because no one likes to displace someone from their home, I know my process, which is to work with them, give them timelines that help, compensate them above and beyond what's coming out in the rent eviction legislation, and genuinely work with them to help them to find another scenario. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to rent those for market rent once I dramatically improve the property. And the people that move in there, because they rent right away, so they are filling a need. Um, This is the other misconception. Oh, who can afford those? Like, well, they're all occupied within 20 days of being posted, right? So um, I think people need to step back and rather than villainizing private sector, small landlords, they need to look at what the actual problem is, which is that the government has abdicated the responsibility on affordable housing for four
1: decades. Do you, is, is there a conversation with the private sector and the government to subsidize it or help at all? Is that a, is that
3: happen? A bit. I feel like it, it, it takes place, but I feel like it never ends up going anywhere. And I honestly, like having been to a meeting with Chandler where there was a bit of public sector there and us as private sector, like there was a kind of an aggressive sentiment against us, even from them. And I feel like, it, I don't want to say like it's terrible and I'm broad stroking, but some of the people that are necessarily working on the public sector side to represent people for affordable housing also have the same angry distaste towards landlords. And so I think they don't even necessarily want a stomach creating sometimes, mm. sometimes these programs that are, are beneficial. They just would rather slap it with rules that make it an unsustainable market. Like that, That's a bit that's a bit of an aggressive statement to make, but that's how it feels a lot of the time versus them wanting to be like, okay, we understand the fact that there's physically no possible way for you to offer things at this price point due to the fact that everything costs a fortune. So what can right. we do to come up with a solution for that? And it feels like
0: there's no collaboration between the public and private.
2: Well, like, do you think there is a government anywhere in North America that's going to utter the word housing project? Like, they don't – they want nothing to do with it. They're terrified of it. Mm. It's a hot-button topic. So they have a four-year mandate. They are not going to make any significant self-directed contributions. So what they do is they give grant money out to um, nonprofits – who do a really admirable job, but they're not out there adding housing stock. They're desperately trying to maintain what they have, which is increasingly falling short of, of the demand. The perfect scenario would be the government goes to the private sector and says, you guys build us the building, and then we will manage it from there, maybe with private sector help or with non-for-profit help. But that is the only solution to provide that deep, deep affordability. And they refuse to do it for all kinds of reasons. Um, but the main one is that the track record on public housing is not a good one. And they're worried about, frankly, the cost, mm. which is exactly what the private sector is worried about. I was going to say,
3: too, like it, it's a bit of a misconception. like The public sector will an announcement, like, oh, we're giving $3 million towards affordable housing. And I'm like, the way they end up spending it, I'm like, that's 10 units. Oh, like, my gosh, That's yeah. not even 10 Ooh, units. So, right, like, It yeah. sounds like a big number like on a PR basis. It's like, wow, $3 million. And I'm like, if you're going to house te- 10 people.
2: Yeah, if that. Interesting. And, and when they complain about... <laughs> The rents being where they are, let's remind ourselves that they're working on these um, temporary modular units across the city that were supposed to be ready in, I believe, November and January, respectively. Uh, The ones in Dartmouth came on at the end of December. I'm going off memory here. And the ones in Halifax that were supposed to be ready in January have now been pushed to May. And their cost for modular pre-constructed units Are coming in right around four hundred thousand. So anyone out there for trailers,
3: and they're not fancy trailers.
2: Yeah, and there's support services in place with that and all these things. But if you look at the timeline and that cost, how anyone who understands what a mortgage might cost on four hundred thousand dollars, you know what would the market rent need to be for that project? Which underscores two things: one, the private sector can't do it, and two, the government's going to have to do it, and they're going to have to run it at a loss. And and that is the reality. But that is also the best case you know, situation. That's the mm. only way it's going to truly be fixed.
3: Yeah.
0: We'll leave it at that for a long, Yeah, long that, was well, that was well said. Yeah. But at least, at least that gave you an opportunity to kind of voice your side of it. Yeah. that, that a lot of these commenters aren't involved in and don't understand.
3: Yeah. And I think we tried to address that with our first few episodes because literally we did our first couple episodes and the, yeah. immediately we got hammered with that. Mm. And so if you look back at some of our old TikToks in my dungeon, we have some, like, cost breakdowns and we did a lot of episodes on it, we should probably do another rehash here sooner than later um, and maybe redo some of the clips Paint the and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Paint the picture, make it a little more clear um, because, yeah, it's just something that can't be afforded right now yeah, privately I, without it some sort of assistance.
2: It's a, it's a very, very nuanced, complicated issue, um, but people have to understand the cost Understand what's realistic for the private sector and what's not, but then also realize that for some people out there, a really nicely renovated two-bedroom unit for fourteen hundred mm. dollars is amazing. It's mm. awesome, and that yeah. is affordable mm-hmm. to some people. Yeah. Maybe not. To I spend everyone. almost
1: a thousand more
2: yeah. on where I'm at. So yeah. right, and, and some people they, everyone's going through a different thing in their life, but that doesn't make anyone necessarily more of a priority than another person when it comes to finding affordable housing in their yeah. price point. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah, Brad. You had some questions. Yeah, I got a lot of questions.
1: So uh, to start it off, I'm I'm putting myself in the position of your listeners. You know, I think that's the beauty of this partnership with me and Tristan is we're both very interested in real estate. We're both very interested in investing, and I always am listening to the podcast and have all these questions that I want to fire at you guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, I reached out obviously, and we said sure. we should we should get down, sit down, and uh, talk about it. So to start. Um, in 2022, how much money do you think you realistically need to save to buy a decent house? So for me, when I say decent house, I grew up in Sackville, potentially I'd want to move into like Fall River area. Okay. Um, what's, what's a realistic budget? A million?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, I mean, if you go across the, the first time home. Market right now is probably around four hundred thousand. I would
3: say four hundred grand. Is probably your number yeah. now.
0: So, so, so here's me being someone who note doesn't know how to buy a house. Yeah. What does that equate to? What is what does four hundred thousand mean to me today? What do I need up front? Down payments? Like I don't know what so, all this means. Assuming you qualify income wise for five percent down, so
3: you're gonna need twenty grand. Five percent of four hundred is twenty grand. Plus your closing costs will be around two percent, maybe a little more. So that's around eight to $10,000. So you're looking at basically a 30K as your bare minimum to close that place, assuming everything goes tickety-boo and you don't need any work to get Mm -hmm. into it or anything like that. Um, And then your monthlies after that, I think for around that much money, probably be... Two grand, basically. Yeah.
2: I was gonna say about eighteen hundred. Eighteen
3: hundred and- to two grand, because rates have gone up a bit. Like it, it's probably closer to two now.
0: And that's how a mortgage works. That's how you pay for the four hundred thousand dollars in monthly installments. Exactly. Yeah. And it. that and that's not gonna include your property taxes,
3: your insurance, your water, your sure. heat, or your power. Um, and those are super dependent on the property. Um, but insurance for a normal house like that would probably be about a hundred bucks a month um, for an owner occupied. And then uh, taxes will again. This is something. For Nova Scotia, and I think it is everywhere. You might get a tax assessment right now. It shows it's only two grand a year. Mm-hmm. The second you buy
0: something for four hundred thousand dollars, it's going up to basically four grand a year. Okay, because I think I hear the eighteen hundred dollar monthly installment for a home. Yeah, that's what I'm paying for a condo. Yeah. So could I technically be doing that for a home, and yep. the only difference is that I own the home?
3: Yes, exactly. You're obviously on the hook then for all the maintenance and everything that goes along yeah. with it. But you're paying your house, and of that payment right now, it's rates where where they're at. Roughly forty-five to fifty percent of that payment is going towards right. principal. So you're actually paying your house down by
0: nine hundred bucks a month. And it's and the only difference is that I would have needed the thirty grand up front in yeah, order yeah. to be eligible for that home instead yeah. of a condo. I didn't have to put thirty yes. k down. And, and oftentimes con-
2: that's the barrier to entry for some people is they can't get ahead on the down payment amount mm-hmm. because they're paying off student loans, they're paying their rent, and it's harder and harder to come up with that that down payment. Yeah. On you know and four hundred thousand, you know, it, it's that's the unfortunate reality. Like the, the opportunities to find anything under that um, in yeah. HRM proper are very, very right. limited. Yep. Um, so you can imagine if someone's saying, Small Well, comments. you know, I'm going up a little higher or bidding more, and it's ended up around 450, 500 Um, it's also why it's challenging to buy on a single income. You know, these these are the real issues mm-hmm. facing facing first time home buyers. Where I mean, when I got in, you could find something around one fifty, it'd be a
0: semi detached home somewhere. Um, so
1: I need a time machine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um,
0: My first house was two forty. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's is and, and that was another question. I, I don't mean to jump in front of you, Not but bugging. just on this topic, it's like, how did you guys first get in the game? And more specifically, when did you buy your first home? How old were you? Where were you financially? Did you have help? Like, what was that process like? You want to do yours first, Chandler?
2: Yeah, sure. I got licensed um, in two 2000- thousand. And 19, eight, 2008. So how old were you? Do you that? Uh, so I was do you 24. Math? So I got my real estate license at 24, which was a big switch from what I was doing previously. Was more or less a professional student. Um, mm. And I got my license because I wanted rental properties. It was not, it was, I did the chicken and egg kind of thing in, in reverse, however you want to think of it. Um, so I got my license in the end of 08 and I bought my first property the spring of 2009. And it was very challenging to qualify for because... Um, you know, the, when you're on commission sales, seem like as if you're an independent contractor. You're, yeah, you're, you're, you're running your your own business. The mm-hmm. banks do not love you. Uh, and my wife at the time was uh, substitute teaching, which they liked slightly more, but still didn't love a whole lot. Right. But we piecemealed it together because financing terms were more favorable back then for rental. So the only thing I could afford was uh, a $237,000 duplex where we would live in one side and we had a tenant on the other side paying seven fifty. dollars and I thought nice. that was the greatest thing mm. ever. I'm like, man, this is – and I was doing all the numbers. I'm like, okay, you Hooked. know, the mortgage is going to be about –
3: uh, What was your interest rate then?
2: Uh, I, it was around <laughs> – I tell us all the time. It was like 4.69 or 4.39. Which was amazing. And I'm like, it'll never be lower. Lock it in. And it goes down to like 419, 399. And mm. every time I'm like, lock it in, it'll never be lower. <laughs> um so at the time, I think our actual payment was going to be around eleven hundred bucks. And you're getting seven fifty. Right, and I'm getting we're getting seven fifty. Mm. And I was going through. I'm like, all right, and this is how much our power will be, and this is, and I worked it out to the point that as long as my you know then girlfriend now wife could come up with five hundred bucks each, we could do it, mm. <laughs> and we did it. And yeah. um, you know, very fortunate from then, grew a bit more with with. Uh, You know, my business started to do better. And then I picked up another duplex, which was kind of a funny windfall where someone drove into my parked vehicle, wrote it off, and I got 15,000 bucks. So I bought another property. (laughs) Um, Wow.
0: Yeah, that was great. So did you need a real estate license in order to buy that duplex?
2: No, but it certainly helped because I could represent myself and pay myself 2.5% off the deal. That's a great question because I forgot the fact that I had the Uh, problem as well. Like, I didn't have any money. uh, Um, But I also had some RRSPs. So, between being able to pay myself commission off the deal, so now that 5% turns down to only needing 2.5% and having some RSPs, I was able to just squeak in there from a down payment perspective. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. And then just scaled from there duplex, duplex, single family home, duplex, refinance, small, 12 unit, and off from there. Once, oh,
3: yeah, a little different. Uh, so, I got my first house when I was 19, which would have been Jeez. 2015. Um, I was in school, I was in university, and I didn't have an income. Uh, I was doing like co-op jobs, and so I was basically living super frugal. I was fortunate that my parents had some money set aside to cover my education costs. Um, So I was able to basically, I just had to pay for my living, and I was able to bank money on my engineering co-ops. And I also had some businesses at the time. I was doing landscaping, I was flipping cars, Look at some previous episodes. But I basically was doing a bunch of different little things to make money. I even had some short-term loans out. Um, So I was doing all that. I put together enough for the down payment, but I didn't have an income, so I couldn't qualify for a mortgage. Okay. So I ended up partnering actually with two other guys um, and basically what it did is it split up our down payment and then they had incomes so we were able to get approved for a mortgage and so we actually bought a duplex you know, on Shabucto Road uh, here in Halifax and that was the first buy Love we that made. that property. Two, yeah, 274 is what we paid for it. How much did you uh, sell for? Uh, 300 but we <laughs> sold it right when the market started to go. Uh, like if we'd held it for two more years it'd be six hundred grand now. Yeah. But wow. um, Anyways, but yeah, that allowed me to get in and then from that, we, we actually, we did 20% down because there was three of us. They wouldn't approve us for CMHC. So we each had to put up basically 7% to close that Got place. It. Uh, so it was a bit, bit of a bigger down payment, but it kept our payments really low. And we were able to rent the upstairs. I forgot what it was, $1,800 in the basement for 1000 bucks. So it cash flowed. It made us some money. Mm. Um, and then after that, I was able to then put together another down payment through my businesses. And I was fortunate, again, that my mom co-signed on my first place by myself. So Chico goes because again, I had no income. I'm in school. I'm in university. I had incomes through the businesses, but it doesn't qualify you for anything. Like, okay. I was doing cash work. I was flipping kind of cars on the side. So I was putting together money. Yes. But it wasn't formalized income that I could go to the bank and be like, hey, I made X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And it definitely wouldn't qualify me for any serious amount of money. Um, and that second property, I kind of attribute to my entire success. And that was a property in South End Halifax that I picked up for three fifty. dollars
2: is that Green Street,
3: <laughs> yeah, that's Green wow. Street, and so that reappraised uh, probably about six months ago for a mill one point one million. Nice. Wow. So and I got I was fortunate, so I got into it for three fifty. And so even when I, within I bought within six or eight months of buying it, I did a full renovation, turned it into three units, borrowed the money from another partner who was involved in it, used him to, to get the renovation done, and then it reappraised at that time for eight hundred thousand. Mm-hmm pulled it out and the game
0: began.
2: And how old were you at that point? just 20th? 20 Next 21 year? range, yeah. yeah. So I was still in school wow. at that point, yeah. Now, yeah. you're yeah. this we're sounds young.
0: this sounds super easy. You guys make this sound like super Is it always <laughs> this easy for everyone or in successful? It was stressful hell. I'm going to say for myself, oh, yeah. it was so
3: so so stressful. I was scraping on like zero. Um it was like an absolute You still got pressure. your hair though. Some of it. I have, a few, I have a few hairs. I have a <laughs> still really nice. We're going to edit the hair on here. Yeah. Um, but like it was, it was extremely stressful. It took every dime. It ended up actually causing a lot of strain on the partnerships and relationships I had in mm. those, in the first buy. Um, and additionally on my buy, it was like the, well, I don't want to say the band of my existence, but it felt so intense because I was trying to go through school and maintain that. Didn't really have a true source of income except for my little businesses. Yep. Um, and so if anything went wrong, I was, I was tapped. Like it was just in that situation and things did go wrong. So there was times that I was completely tapped and I would be stretching credit cards. and it, Totally, it was, man. It was yeah. intense. So it uh, I would say it wasn't easy at all. I was just fortunate that, again, I had the ability to get some co-signers between partners and my mother. Right. Uh, and then additionally, I was really fortunate that I had the engineering co-ops because they paid really well for being 20 like they were paying really good money and so literally every dime that came in from those was going against these properties. Mm-hmm. Do so. you think what you guys
1: accomplished is possible to do in 2022 cuz I'm hearing like the cost of properties 250, 300, 150. Yeah. Obviously the housing market's a mm-hmm. lot different now. So, do you think me and Tristan, you know, yeah. Could yeah. could we
0: replicate what we, replicate
1: we, what you what, what you guys have
0: done? And it feels like this is where a lot of the hate's coming from the TikTok. It's because like now you're looking at a million dollar home, the down payment just to get approved for that. It's like you need a shit ton of money upfront. Yeah, a hundred
3: percent. I think so. I honestly do. I'm a hundred percent yes on that because I, you can look at that all, like for the rest of time. Like I look at my parents and they tell me about how they could have bought a strip mall for five hundred grand, zero percent down. That same strip mall today or when I first started mm. would have been, I, I know what it was because I went to it. It was $3 million and I needed 35% in. So I needed a million bucks to do it. So it's like there is always opportunities. You just need to get creative. And if you're going to be that person you want to do it, then you need to think how you're going to do that. So in this case, yeah, you can't expect to go buy in South End necessarily. But you're going to either go banging doors trying to find an off market deal somewhere in the city or you have to go outside. So and this is I say to a lot of people. Go to Truro. You can find duplexes and triplexes there for like a hundred, hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, true. (laughs) Let's go. go. (laughs) And get yourself get yourself a triplex there and you can do the exact same thing. You go in, you put in some elbow grease. It doesn't have to be a crazy reno. You get your rents up. I can bet my life that you'll get a refinance on it, you'll pull out cash and you'll be in a much, much stronger cash position to Mm -hmm. go do it again. And you can roll through it. Yeah, like for some. Work your way back into the city.
2: Yeah. I mean for for some context, like back in two thousand nine the biggest thing I regretted always was that I couldn't have bought in 2008 and 2007 and 2006. Mm. There's always an element of that. But I also ended up in Dartmouth because I could not afford Halifax, period. And that was looked at a certain way by my buddies. Like they all grew up on the peninsula and they're like, Dartmouth, man, we'll never see you, blah, blah. Mm. And like I would have (laughs) massive shakers just to like have my friends come across the bridge um, (laughs) to see me. And you know, in hindsight, it looks like the obvious thing, Oh, downtown Dartmouth, you you made a killing over there. Well, at the time that was not what everyone else was doing. And so in this moment, you have to find like, well, what is everyone else not doing? And there's going to be some ebbs and flows. And and certainly the cash outlay is different than it is now, but there's also some creative programs and people are are thinking a lot more outside of the box than we were back 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I, I never took private money. I never did partnerships. I was very conservative and I probably could have expedited my growth um, if I had been more creative and if I had access to more information. Like when I was coming up, there was no podcast talking about any of this stuff. That's what uh, to say this. There's no Master Keys podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so you were left to reach out to people. I mean, I would try to like reach out to people if I could find them like on the Internet somewhere and pick their brain. And now I think there's just so much access to information where, yes, the prices are higher, but the creativity is, is on another level.
3: Yeah, That's, I, I'm going to double down. One last thing I'm going to say is I'm from Ontario. I intended to go back there and do real estate there. The average price in Ontario when I was getting my first place was 800000 bucks. So basically the equivalent for me was to stay in Halifax and do it in Halifax. Right. Mm-hmm. So now Halifax has gotten to that price point that might not be a great place to start. You start looking at <coughs> peripherals and
0: working your way back in. Probably my biggest question of this episode, I, I want to get off my chest, is what what the hell does refinance mean? Because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> watching your guys' episodes, you say it all the time, and I'm like, oh, it would be nice to know what this actually means. And I could Google it, but I want to hear from you guys.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, what, what what we're saying by doing that, this burr model, the beat, buy, rent, uh, renovate. What is it? Buy, renovate, refinance, whatever it is. Right. It. Basically what you're saying is like you're buying a property for a certain amount of dollars, you're spending a certain amount on a renovation, now that property is worth a lot more. So if you you bought it for 100, you spent 100, so you're into it for all for 200, but now the bank's telling you it's worth 400 grand. Mm-hmm. So effectively you have $200,000 of equity there. Mm-hmm. You are re, you already have financing, but you're refinancing the property that you already own to up your mortgage or up your line of credit to cover off some of that equity. The bank's saying we're going to give you some of that equity, and so you're refinancing a property that you already own, you already have mortgage on and they're giving you some of that extra equity back and basically it's to pay off any things you have to pay off and the additional cash you're available to then use towards another down payment cuz it's considered secured debt
0: okay so yeah. what they give when you say they bite into that equity that you own yeah. cut your check they give me and i can use it for whatever it's the greatest whatever greatest feeling. when you do yeah. your
3: first one it is the craziest you're like this is just my money
0: <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. you
2: you have to pay it back in the form of like, that is now the new mortgage amount on the yeah, property. Yeah, how does it affect so the mortgage? If, if you kind of think of it as there's two, the bank gives you a loan based on what they know the value of the property to be. So, and there's two ways they can know the value of a property. That's what it just sold for. Or you've hired an appraiser to come out and say, this is what it's worth. So when you buy the property initially, they say, okay, that's what it's worth. We lend you money based on that. And like Neil said, down the road, the property is worth a lot more. You bring an appraiser out that says, okay, I will write a letter effectively to the bank saying this property is now worth way more, Mm. but they'll still extend you a mortgage based on that new value. So if the new value is a lot higher, they will extend you a loan based on a lot higher amount. Um, And the excess of that relative to kind of what you already owed on the property, you get in of cash
0: who decides what a house is worth because couldn't i just tell brad to become an appraiser and say hey joe just tell the bank that my <laughs> you're letting all, is all work letting all the
2: secrets out like you, you uh, say then just there was one point in time where like Chandler there a, also uh, had his appraisers license. <laughs> uh, no i mean <laughs> so like this was a serious issue. Like okay. we say, we say this jokingly, um, but Nova Scotia has like a very unique history within, I guess, like the mortgage fraud history of Canada, <laughs> um, because there were some really aggressive refinances done, and. I think upon closer inspection, it was realized that appraisers were intentionally inflating the values of the properties. And it was one thing, it'd be hard to convince a local lender that, say, a property in Windsor was all of a sudden worth $650,000, but to go maybe get a secondary lender based in Ontario that just looks at the numbers and says, well, this is an appraiser's they report don't know here, is. Um, they will happily refinance, You I mean, they'll extend you a mortgage of, say, $500,000 on this property in Windsor based mm. on a 650 valuation. Whereas if you were actually to sell that property it might only be worth 350. Yeah. And, and this was a problem in the market, which is why certain lenders want only certain appraisers. There were a couple of appraisers that were blacklisted by lenders during this process. And there were, people who, yeah, there were people who effectively got overextended on these properties because if things went sideways and sometimes they did, it wasn't always great times in the real estate world. You then could not sell the properties for the amount that you owed. Right, mm-hmm. So you say that in jest, um, mm-hmm. but it was an issue. Not that people would necessarily go out there and get licensed specifically to that end, but I would say um, there were some appraisers, historically speaking, that were maybe uh, inflating values. Yeah, makes sense. They're yeah. under
3: immense pressure, too, because yeah. like all the property was predominantly investors and commercial guys, like, they like, look, if I'm going to work with you and That's spend right. tons of money to get you to appraise all my properties... Better make the numbers it seems look like good. a tough job. It's like an official, like a basketball official or something. Nobody's like, having you know, no one hates you. Yeah, you're yeah.
0: hated. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So, but yeah, that there who decides and it changes. We'll have I think we'll have an episode on appraisals, but it changes between residential and commercial. But we'll get into that another time.
2: Yeah. That's when we talk about the exit strategy. Is how quickly can I refinance this property and get all my money back? Right? If I if I had to put a hundred grand into this property, can I raise the property by enough that I can get my hundred grand back? Mm. Because then I can use it again on another property.
0: And there's no there's no timeline in for the bank that says okay, you got to wait at least six months before you get a refinance.
2: Yeah, there there
3: is, and it's usually it's at least six months, basically. Like if you call the bank back a month later. They're going to be like, no, like we're not interested. Um, Again, like the idea of A, B, and C lenders, like your A's, your BMOs, your CIBCs, B's, your CUA, your credit unions, uh, and C would be private money. B's and C's are a little more flexible. So if you go back to them within six months, they're probably not going to say much. Mm. If there's no mortgage insurance involved, they're not going to say much. They're happy to keep kind of lending forward. A lenders, especially if there's mortgage insurance involved, are not interested in you coming every six months and being like, give me more money pay out the mortgage insurance like they don't really want to get into that they want clean simple basic stuff and they're also not going to look at private appraisers a lot of the time they're going to go and like this we have a list of people that we've approved don't bring us anybody else got it so
2: yeah there's uh also now an automated system where some lenders will require the appraisal just to be automatically assigned to an appraisal company to avoid any sort of conflicts Um, the other thing is when you get a mortgage so if you were to sign a mortgage you purchased your first home you have to decide when you're filling out your forms for the mortgage. Do I want a one-year mortgage, a three-year mortgage, a five-year mortgage, a 10-year mortgage, or do I want a mortgage that is effectively open open or a variable where I can kind of cancel at any time? And you're incentivized through lower rates to maybe get something a bit more conventional like a five-year mortgage. Closed. Yeah, uh, which means I'm agreeing that I'm going to pay this exact amount at this exact interest rate to this bank for five years. They like the predictability of it, and a lot of consumers like the predictability of it. If you, though, want to refinance one year in, Bank's going to say, oh, "That's great, but you promised to pay us interest for another four years." That's right. So if you want to get out of this early, you're still paying us mm. that four years worth of interest, and that's called a mortgage penalty or break penalty. So different mortgage products you would it look could be at hefty. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's why if you're an investor, and for anyone out here who's thinking about buying their first income property, you may look at getting a shorter term or a variable open mortgage, so that 18 months from now. If there's equity in there, you can access it with minimal
0: penalties to go out and buy something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's different products have... for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep.
2: Thanks for listening for the first part of this episode. I hope you like what you're hearing so far. We're going to pause now.
0: Yeah, and we're going to
3: run this into a part two. We're going to keep Tristan and Brad here. We're going to dive a little more into social media, the techniques, things that are coming up. And we answer some great questions that you guys sent in that I think everyone's going to be interested in hearing the answers to.
2: Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week.